Welcome to Historical Context, where we take a deep dive into American history and we look at the different sources out there from the era that we're studying to see what the true participants had to say about the historic times they lived in. Today we're going to start a unit on Christopher Columbus, and this unit is going to last seven episodes. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to Christopher Columbus. And I believe that now is the most relevant time to have a conversation about Columbus because our culture here in the early 2020s is talking about removing Columbus statues from public squares, removing his name from buildings, landmarks, and even cities. So I think it's important for us to look at the actual historical record from that time and judge for ourselves what type of person Christopher Columbus was. While many people think that Christopher Columbus was the only person or the first person that essentially cemented the fact that there were islands or land west of the known world, there had actually been speculation for years that additional land existed west of the Atlantic Ocean. In fact, in 1424, a chartographer named Zwain Pizzagano, he was a Venetian chartographer, created a chart that showed a cluster of islands in the North Atlantic Ocean. While Pizzagano's chart was not totally accurate, his insinuation of land west of the known world was something that should show others that there was a theory out there that land did exist. Columbus wasn't the first person to necessarily think it, although he does seem to be the first person who acted on it. Columbus enjoyed reading about exploration. He enjoyed reading Marco Polo's travels. And Columbus, uh, in reading Marco Polo's travels, became very excited about the possibility of exploring outside of the known world. The known world in the late 15th century continued to grow and grow uh, from the European point of view. Europeans were discovering more coastline along modern-day Africa, and there was a belief that there was going to be more land the further east and south they went. Columbus, on the other hand, believed that if you went directly west, you would get to the Indies or India faster than if you took this cumbersome eastern route. And in 1482, Columbus, living in Portugal at the time, approached King John II, who was the king of Portugal, and asked for the opportunity uh, to be funded for a voyage to the west. Now, little did Columbus know, but King John actually sent a small group of, I guess I'd call them privateers, out into the middle of the Atlantic to see if there was anything there. They went three days outward, three days west, and sat out there for a little while, looked around, and determined that there was nothing out there and came back. And because of that, King John refused to fund Columbus's voyage. So Columbus moves to Spain, and at the time of his move to Spain, the Spanish monarchy was led by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella, husband and wife. And they were not, uh, they were not on board with funding Columbus's trip at first. At the time, Spain 
was in a war with the Moors who were in an Islamic group occupying the southern part of the country. The monarchy's focus was on driving the Moors out of Spain. And in 1492, Granada, the last Moor stronghold, fell. And Spain was united in a, and it looked more like the modern Spain we know today. As a result of this, Ferdinand and Isabella decided that they would subsidize Columbus's trip. On April 17, 1492, Columbus signed an Articles of Agreement with the Spanish monarchy. What's great about this is that Columbus kept this document and it survived, and it's something that's a part of the public record today. The document actually names him, and at the time his name was Don Cristobal Cologne. The document names him the Admiral of the Voyage Fleet, which consisted of three ships. The agreement is interesting because while it was the late 15th century, it truly does read like a legal agreement. Take this for example. Likewise, that your highnesses appoint the said Don Cristobal Cologne to be your viceroy and governor general in all the said islands and mainlands and in the islands which, as aforesaid, he may discover and acquire in the said seas and that for the government of each and any of them he may make a choice of three persons for each office, and that your highnesses may select and choose the one who shall be the most serviceable to you. So Christopher Columbus is being appointed into a political leadership position for any islands that are discovered. He's going to put forth three people and the crown would select someone to, uh, to serve in a government capacity. It's quite a, uh, an appointment. But what's interesting is, as you read this agreement and you read that section, there's no mention of the West Indies, but there's plenty of mentions of new lands and new islands. And it really makes you think, what was the actual expectation at the time? You know, they teach us in school that Columbus was sailing west to find a new trade route, and that's all he was focused on. But clearly, when you read this agreement, there's this expectation that land is going to be found that was completely unknown before. But what about the money? You know, isn't Columbus going to be getting paid for his service? Well, as you look further into the agreement, the idea of compensation or compensation for Columbus is discussed. Of all and every kind of merchandise, whether pearls, precious stones, gold, silver, spices, and other objects and merchandise whatsoever, of whatever kind, name, and sort, which may be bought, bartered, discovered, acquired, and obtained within the limits of said admiralty, your highness's grant from now henceforth to the said Don Cristobal, and will that he may have and take for himself the tenth part of the whole after deducting all the expenses which may be incurred therein, so that of what shall remain clear and free, he may have and take the tenth part for himself, and may do therewith as he pleases, the other nine parts being reserved for your highnesses. So essentially Columbus is being paid one-tenth of whatever is found after expenses, and the Spanish crown keeps the other 90%. But again, this sounds a lot like a legal document, 
So, I mean, they're all set. And on August 3rd, 1492, Columbus leaves with 88 sailors, three ships, and heads off to the New World. And what's great about this is that Columbus keeps a diary. And he keeps a diary of all four voyages that he ends up taking. He ends up taking four, which shows how much we have to talk about in this unit. And the diaries have been lost, but a monk by the name of De La Casas, who actually lived during Columbus's era, did a translation and interpretation of those diaries. And as a result, his writings survive. So while we're not reading directly, directly from Christopher Columbus, the voyage logs are written in the third person, but they're written by somebody who actually did read Columbus's writing. And Columbus, uh, interestingly enough, early in his, basically in the introduction of his voyage log, hints to uh, another purpose for his trip. He says, Your Highnesses, as Catholic Christians and princes who love the Holy Christian faith and the propagation of it, and who are enemies to the sect of Muhammad and to the idolatries and heresies resolved to send me, Cristobal Cologne, to the said parts of India to see the said princes and the cities and lands and their disposition with a view that they might be converted to our holy faith. So there is a religious undertone here where Columbus is hoping to go to India and convert people to Christianity. What gets interesting is they're only a couple of days into this voyage. They left on the 3rd of August. And on August 6th, the Pinta breaks down. The August 6th entry says, The rudder of the Caravel Pinta became unshipped. And Martin Alonso Pinzon, who was in command, he's the captain of the Pinta, believed or suspected that it was by contravance of Gomes Rascon and Cristobal Quintero, to whom the caravel belonged, for they dreaded to go on that voyage. So, some underhanded comments there about the owners of the boat. The Admiral says that before they sailed, these men had been displaying a certain backwardness, so to speak. The Admiral was much disturbed at not being able to help the said caravel without danger. And he says that he was eased of some anxiety when he reflected that Martin Alonso Pinzon was a man of energy and ingenuity. It doesn't say what exactly happened, but Pinzon apparently was able to fix the problem aboard the Pinta, and they went onward. And they went onward for a, a period of approximately five weeks. And on September 14th, the log says that uh, here the caravel Nina reported that they had seen a tern and a boatswain bird, and that these birds never go more than 25 leagues from the land. So September 14th, they see a bird, and they're thinking, okay, we got to be close to land. Well, no land in sight. They get to September 17th, and the journal says at dawn on that Monday, they saw much more weed appearing, which I believe is algae. Like her, like herbs from rivers in which they found a live crab, which the admiral kept. And so again, these are signs of land. So September 17th, 
they're getting excited. They're thinking, we're seeing land, we're seeing land. Well, land doesn't come. They get through the end of September, so that's another two weeks. They get into October, still no land. October 7th, no land was seen during the afternoon, as reported by the Nina, and they passed a great number of birds flying from the north to southwest. This gave rise to the belief that the birds were either going to sleep on land or were flying from the winter, which might be supposed to be near the land whence they were coming. So there's this, they're seeing these birds and they're thinking, well, they might be migrating, but they should be coming from land somewhere. And uh, they continue... Columbus essentially uh, in the journal here says he began the new course one hour before sunset. So a new course on October 7th is shifted. Yet we get through the 8th, we get through the 9th, no land. And on October 10th, here the people could endure no longer. They complained of the length of the voyage. But the admiral cheered them up in the best way he could, giving them good hopes of the advantages they might gain from it. He added that however they, however much they might complain, he had to go to the Indies and that he would go on until he found them with the help of our Lord. Clearly the, uh, the ship's crew is getting anxious, they're getting angry, they're complaining. Columbus is assuring them that they're going to continue until they find something. And on October 11th, so just the next day, a sailor by the name of Rodrigo de Triana, de Triana, uh, apparently sees land. That's what the journal says. The land was first seen by Rodrigo de Triana. But the admiral at 10 o'clock saw a light and he was uncertain whether or not that was land. He called Pero Gutierrez, a gentleman of the king's bedchamber, and said that there seemed to be a light and that he should look at it. And so Gutierrez looks and he sees it. The Admiral said the same to Rodrigo Sanchez. And uh, the King and Queen had sent Rodrigo Sanchez as an inspector. But he could see nothing. So you got one guy saying he could see it. Another guy says he could see it too. Another guy says he, he sees nothing. So they're far away. And they can't quite tell if that's land or not. But the next day, lo and behold, it is land. On October 12, 1492, Columbus lands in uh, modern day in the modern day Bahamas, uh, the southern part of the Bahama Islands. The journal is interesting in terms of uh, it goes into a decent amount of detail as to what they did. So they're they're coming up on shore. And the journal says, and I quote, The Admiral went on shore in the armed boat, and Martin Alonso Pinzon and Vicente Yanez, uh, who was the captain of the Nina, Vicente was. The Admiral took the royal standard, and the captains went with two banners of the Green Cross, which the Admiral took in all ships as a sign, with an F and a Y, uh, Ferdinand and Isabella, and a crown over each letter. The admiral called to the two captains and the others who leaped on shore. And so they're, they're doing this and they're getting ready to plant these flags to take possession of the island. The journal says, presently many inhabitants of the island assembled. Yeah, you better believe if they're getting ready to come on shore, they got banners, they're getting ready to proclaim the island belonging to Spain. 
the inhabitants of the island begin to gather. And this is Columbus's first interaction with natives. And uh, De La Casa, who's translating, actually quotes him. I, that we might form great friendship, for I knew that they were a people who could be more easily freed and converted to our holy faith by love than by force. The next day, Columbus describes the natives in a little more detail. He says that they, uh, they do not wear any clothes. They were very much interested in trading with Columbus. They were mostly younger individuals under the age of 30, and that they had boats that could carry canoes that could carry 40 to 45 men. Columbus was able to communicate with the natives using uh, forms of sign language, primitive forms of sign language, but was still able to get a lot of information from them. The day after he lands on the island, the second day that he's there, he finds out from the natives that there are other natives which come from the northwest down to the island, and they actually attack the island. They pillage it, and then they leave and head south or southwest, presumably to attack other islands. And this tells Columbus a couple of things. One, he is not going to leave and go northwest. He does not want to deal with this group of people. But two, if there's islands and other natives south and southwest of there, that's where he wants to go to see additional lands and additional people. So Columbus leaves the island and heads south-southwest. On October 15th, something that I find truly remarkable occurred. A man in a canoe approaches the ship, and he's looking to barter with cotton. So he, he comes on board. He's in a canoe. He comes on board the Santa Maria, which is where Columbus was, and he has a sheik of cotton, and he wants to trade with them. Well, he didn't have enough quantity to... Uh, to really give them anything they needed. So they just gave him stuff and sent him on his way. On the 16th, Columbus mentions an island where uh, gold is present. And this is the first time in the journals on the 16th of October where Columbus mentions that the na some natives are actually on board his ship. So what's happened is from the first stop, Columbus took natives aboard his ship to continue his journey in search of new islands and in search of a way to the Indies. So he has these natives aboard his ship serving essentially as scouts. And they mention on the 16th an island called Samoit. And I'll read from... The, uh, the journal here. These people, and they come upon a new island that he calls San Salvador. Quote, these people resemble those of the said islands with the same language and customs, except that these appear to me a rather more domestic and tractable people. He continues that those who brought cotton and other trifles to the ship knew better than the others how to make a bargain. He also added that the women wore small pieces of cotton in front of their bodies. And finally, quote, 
They do not know any religion, and I believe they could easily be converted to Christianity, for they are very intelligent. So, again, Columbus is making these observations and saying things that I would not necessarily consider disparaging about these people. They're trading. Some of them apparently know how to trade better than others, and he finds them to be very intelligent, convertible to Christianity. On the 17th of October, Columbus makes his way to modern-day Clarence Town, Bahamas, where Port or Port Clarence. Columbus goes ashore, and this is the first time that he actually not only sees gold, but is in awe of the plant life. Quote, I walked among the trees, which was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, beholding as much verdure as in the month of May in Adalusia. The trees are as unlike ours as night from day, as are the fruits, the herbs, the stones, and everything. He goes on to say that the natives, they give what they possess in exchange for anything that may be given to them. Further down, he talks about how the natives had dogs, mastiffs, and hounds. So they've clearly domesticated uh, other animals. But then he concludes, it's interesting because there's, this is the first time we come across a few contradictions. He concludes by saying, quote, I quarreled with these people because they would not exchange or give what was required. It's interesting that uh, he would go from saying that they, they would give what they possess in exchange for anything that would be brought to him, but then he says that he quarreled with these people. At the end of the day on the 17th, they uh, set sail but had to anchor down due to a storm. They came upon a new island on the 19th that they named uh, Columbus named Isabella after the crown. The native scouts report that the inhabitants of the island are in the interior and they have a king who possesses gold. But Columbus is skeptical, and I'll tell you why he's skeptical if you look in the journal. I do not give much faith to what they say, as well because I do not understand them well, as because they are so poor in gold that even a little that this king may have would appear much to them. So he's, get, he's having trouble understanding them, one, but two, uh, their idea of large quantity is much different than his idea of large quantity. On the 20th, uh, Columbus writes that he, uh, he struggles to get ashore because uh, of location. On the 21st, his expedition finally comes ashore, and he comes upon a village, and for the first time, the villagers act a little bit differently. They flee. So they're coming upon the village, the villagers flee. And the natives here call this island Cuba, hence the name today. And on the 21st, they do make a startling discovery. Thus walking around along round one of the lakes, I saw a serpent, which we killed. And I bring home the skin of for your highnesses. As soon as it saw us, it went into the lagoon and we followed, as the water was not very deep until we killed it with lances. It is seven spans long, and I believe that there are many like it in these lagoons. The natives 
called this serpent iguana. So after after a, a period of time on the island, it was approximately a day, Columbus is able to engage with some of the natives. The natives are not as timid, and, and he writes in the journal that they brought darts, skeins of cotton to barter, which they exchanged for bits of glass, broken crockery, and pieces of earthenware. He said that some of them had pieces of gold fastened in their noses, which they willingly gave for a hawk's bell and glass beads. But there was so little that it counts for nothing. So Columbus is trading for, for gold, but uh, it's so little that it counts for nothing. For the next couple of days, the fleet uh, has trouble with the weather, so they don't do much. On the 28th of October, Columbus comes upon another island. They find two fishermen houses, which were abandoned, presumably uh, the, the occupants fled, and Columbus gave orders not to touch anything. And the native scouts said that it would take them approximately 20 days to circumnavigate this island. So on the 29th, Columbus sailed west, uh, per the natives' instructions, because he believed that there was a king west. They found another village, and once again, the villagers fled. This gets interesting because, you know, we go from a point where Columbus is coming upon villages, and everybody's kind of coming out. They're, they may be a little timid, but they're coming out, meeting them, trading with them. We had the guy on the canoe, and now he's coming to villages, and the villagers are fleeing. No explanation, in my opinion, as to what caused that behavior, but I find it odd that we went from one type of behavior to a totally different type of behavior, and it may speak to the relationship between the different tribes of those areas at the time. On the 29th, they're sailing west to look for a king. The villagers flee this village. Columbus gives them orders not to touch anything. And they, what they decide to do this time is Columbus sends two men into the jungle to try to find this king. These men spend a couple of days in the jungle. They return, and they say that they found a village of about a thousand people, but there was no king. So Columbus uh, continues his travels. And I want to pause here by stating that Columbus, as he's going along, is naming these islands different things. San Salvador, which means Savior, Navidad, Trinidad, the Trinity. So it shows his, his devotion to faith. And on November 12th, he actually reflects that in the journal. He says, returning, these natives would be mouthpieces of the Christians. They would adopt our customs and the things of the faith. I saw and knew, says the admiral, that these people are without any religion, not idolaters, not but very gentle, not knowing what is evil, nor the sins of murder and theft, being without arms and so timid that a hundred would fly before one Spaniard, although they joke with them. They, however, believe and know that there is a God in heaven and say that we have come from heaven. At any prayer that we say, they repeat and make the sign of the cross. Thus, your highnesses should resolve to make them Christians. For I believe that if the work was begun, in a little time, a multitude of nations would be converted to our faith with the acquisition of great lordships, peoples, and riches for Spain. So Columbus here 
talks about the conversion of the natives to Christianity and how it would support the Spanish Empire. Uh, a little later on, same day here, November 12th, Columbus for the first time mentions the actual detention of natives. He says, Yesterday a canoe came alongside the ship with six youths in it. Five came on board and I ordered them to be detained. They are now here. I afterwards sent to a house on the western side of the river and see seven women, old and young, and three children. I did this because the men would behave better in Spain if they had women of their own land than without them. Columbus is now detaining people for the purpose of having some type of family unit, it appears, to take these natives to Spain. So this is, and this is the first time he mentions bringing natives back to Spain, which is, you know, obviously a big leap from where he was at the beginning, where they were coming on board and, and doing scouting. And uh, he goes on at, at one point here uh, to mention that one of the husbands of the women comes alongside the ship and asks to join. Presumably because he wants to be with his wife, and Columbus allows him to to come aboard. And then on November 20th, uh, an interesting thing occurs. He comes back to the island which he had called Isabella. Columbus talks about the detention of these natives, and he he says in his journal that the natives are under the impression that they're on the ship to help him find gold, and once they find gold they're going to be returned home. But Columbus is planning to take them to Spain. So that that's where we get into this, uh, this whole idea of detention, where Columbus is taking people, uh, in, and in this case, misleading them into believing that they would be going home sooner rather than later. You know, Columbus, interestingly enough, he's reflecting in this on, on November 20th, and on November 21st, a much bigger problem presents itself. On the 21st of November, the Pinta drifts away from the fleet. So Martin Alonso Pinzon, who captains the Pinta, is gone. The Pinta is gone. And Columbus believes that Pinzon has done this because he wants to go look for his own gold. And so now the Pinta's gone. Columbus is down to two ships. What's going to happen? We'll find out next time on Historical Context.